I want to start really by continuing a series that we've been in called Hit the Reset Button. And I want to start here with reading from a passage of scripture in John chapter 4. Uh, this has kind of been a guiding passage of scripture for us. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. John chapter 4. It will also be on the screens um, behind me and on the sides. And so go ahead and turn there. John chapter 4, verse 31. Now, just for context, Jesus is doing ministry. His disciples are out looking for food. And they come back and they find Jesus, and this is the interaction that they have. Listen. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And the logical question that disciples asked is, did someone bring him food while we were gone? That seems like a reasonable question, doesn't it? But see, what Jesus was trying to do is communicate something spiritual to his disciples. See, the disciples were on a practical plane. They were thinking about the fact that Jesus, their leader, needed to eat. He needed to eat some food. And so it was kind of like, makes sense. Like, have you eaten? Right? So they were looking for food. They were trying to find food. And so Jesus does what Jesus does sometimes, is he takes something very practical that seems very logical, and he makes it spiritual. And you see that all through the Bible. Like, I mean, Jesus is always doing that. But in this particular case, it's kind of interesting because none of us would think that Jesus is saying it's not good to eat. He's not saying, hey, don't eat food. Well, because we know that's not true because he made the body and the body is supposed to eat in order to survive. So there's something going on here that Jesus is trying to get us to see. But if you notice that the disciples were urging him to do something practical and do something good. And here's the point of this entire series, really, is that how often in our lives do we get focused on good things and we actually stop doing the things that we're supposed to be doing that are the better things. Matter of fact, I'd go as far as to say the mission critical things. Because see, what Jesus was about was the mission. So he knew that it wasn't just about eating food. He knew that he had a mission. And he wasn't going to let the disciples get in the way of that mission, even if he was hungry. And so the point that I'm trying to make is that sometimes in life, we can get distracted, yes, by good things. It's just true. We all do it. But here's the point that I want this series to really begin to stir us in is that there are always going to be people urging you to do things. There are always going to be even well-intending people, good people, even Christian people that are going to be urging you to do things. The question becomes is, are they the things you should be doing? And see, that's the thing that Jesus understood. Jesus understood that no matter what, even if it was good, no matter what, he would always remain mission-focused. And see, that's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a church that's mission-focused, a church that is focused on the mission of seeing people transformed by Jesus. 
That's what it's all about for us. That's why we get up in the morning as a church. It's because we want to see people transformed by Jesus. We want to see people know God. We want to see people uh, find freedom. We want to see people uh, learn what their purpose is, discover what their purpose is, and make a difference. It's pretty straightforward. And then we just say at the end of that, repeat. And let's just keep repeating and keep doing that over and over again. And we will fulfill the mission that Christ has laid on us as a church, as individuals, as people that follow God. And so the last week or the last week, last week, I talked about knowing God. And I really described to you what I would call the first new And if you missed any of that, I want to describe it for you so that you aren't lost as we continue. But last week I had to cut the message short because apparently I had too much to say. (laughs) That happens sometimes with preachers. We can be a little verbose. Some people might even use a more derogatory term like long-winded. I don't appreciate that. Thank you, son. But I want to describe for you the first new. Because, see, this first new is absolutely critical. See, knowing God means or should lead to new in our lives. Knowing God should lead to new in our lives. And so, like I said, last week we talked about the first new, which I'll describe to you here as I read from 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. When someone becomes a Christian... He or she becomes a brand new person where? Inside. Doesn't say outside. Now that's important. Because see, God does a work on the inside of us that we can't do for ourselves. And the great thing is that when he does, the outside starts to take care of itself. The problem is, is that sometimes what we do is we try to change ourselves from the outside. Yes, we do things to fix ourselves. We do things to change ourselves and hope and pray and ask God that if he if I would just do enough here, that it would somehow get in here. But that's not how it works. It's the other way around. And here's the problem. I can't do this. Only God can. So when the Bible says that he becomes or she becomes a brand new person inside, that is something we've got to notice. That's the first new that has to occur in our lives. He is not the same anymore, the Bible says. A new life has begun. And this is the thing you've got to understand. The inside work, the work that's being done is being done by God not being done by you. That first new is something you can't do. Well, that rhymed. I just made that up. Somebody tweet that. So we talked about this first new last week and we described it with this theological word, justification. Now, I don't know if you know what that word means Uh, in the world. It means something in particular, but in the Bible and in theology, justification has a very specific meaning. I want to read it to you so you kind of get it. The act of God in bringing sinners into a new covenant relationship with himself through the forgiveness of sins. Do you notice that the definition says an act of God? It is not your act. 
It is not something you do to fix yourself. It is something that God does on your behalf that you can't do for yourself. I thank God for that. See, it is a declarative act of God by which he establishes persons as righteous. He establishes persons as righteous. That is, in right and true relationship with himself. Listen to this. It is by faith alone. We cannot do anything to merit this gracious provision. Do you know what that means? That means there's nothing you can do to get God to love you any more or any less. There's nothing you can do to merit his favor. There's nothing you can do to gain your own righteousness. It is only righteousness that is given to you by God through Jesus. That's a nutshell, isn't it? I mean, that's just power packed of goodness. See, justification is so clear, so, 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 so impactful to our lives because what it does is it, it takes us from the old and it makes us new. But it's making us new not because of something I did but because of what Christ has done for me. See, my heart as your pastor is if you don't know that, that you would take a step to enter into this relationship with Christ that leads to that first new, that you would have that experience. And I just want to say, if you've never done that, I want to pray for you today. But if in the last month or two or several months, you've made a decision like that to allow the righteousness of Christ to come on the inside of you, justify you before a holy God if that's happened as a church at the end of this month you heard about it we're going to be having a baptism service and this is a great way for you to cement that thing on the inside with an outside expression and so we would love for you to be a part of that we're going to be baptizing people here over there we put a big old tub it's a party I mean we celebrate all kinds of things but we celebrate baptisms around here because it is amazing to watch someone go from being outside the family of God and becoming a part of the family of God and that the newness comes on this. Oh, it's so good. And so if you, you have made a decision at some point and haven't done that, we would love to help you. You can get signed up online. But that's really what we talked about last week in a nutshell. So now on to the thing that we're going to talk about, the second half of the sermon that I didn't get to last week. Because, see, last week we talked about this first new. Now I want to talk about what I'd call the second new. Matter of fact, let's, let's go a little bit further and describe it this way. How about we call it the ongoing new? It's the ongoing new. Matter of fact, there's a theological phrase. So we've talked about justification. The ongoing new is a word sanctification. Now, I don't know uh, if you've ever heard that word, but you really have to say it with some oomph. You know, I mean, you got to be like sanctification because it's just got something behind it. Right. And it's got like at least 12 syllables, I think, you know, it's only got five. I think why sanctification five sanctification. You've really got to just say that with some power because it's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process in our lives where God is making us holy and purifying us on the inside 
He's purifying us not only on the inside, but he's purifying us on the outside as well. See, that's a process, isn't it? That takes some time. Because I don't know about you, but I sometimes say and do things that aren't necessarily honoring to Jesus. Am I the only one? You guys are a little quiet. Um, I think that you would have to say that you probably can relate to what I'm saying. Is that sometimes we don't do the right things. And see, the journey of sanctification is this journey of becoming more and more like Jesus as we spend greater and greater time with him through the Holy Spirit. And see, what happens is that, that God begins this transformative process in us, and it's ongoing. Now, the justification I receive is in a moment. In other words, I receive the righteousness of Jesus in a moment when I say yes to God through faith. That comes to me because of what Jesus has done. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I've got it all figured out. Yes, there's this ongoing process that we're all a part of. And so there are two things about sanctification that you have to understand. Here's the first one. God is the one who purifies and makes us holy. It's God that is doing the work. God is the one that gives us what we need. Matter of fact, he's the one that gives us the righteousness we need, and he's the one that gives us the power that we need. Because isn't it true that, 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 that sometimes we don't feel like we have the power to overcome? Well, the Bible says we do. Sometimes we don't live in it, but Jesus is the one that brings that into our life. He's the one that's bringing that into our life, the righteousness we receive and the power to do it. What kind of monster would ask you to do a bunch of things and then intentionally not give you the power to do it. Do you see what I'm getting at? That is not what a loving father would do. A loving father would not only give us the instruction, but he would also give us the power to accomplish it. And see, that's what we're kind of zeroing in on. And the power is a person. And I don't know if you know the person. The power comes through the Holy Spirit. And my heart for you today is if you don't know the Holy Spirit as your friend, that where you have a friendship with the Holy Spirit, you're going to have a hard time putting into play the things that God wants you to put into play because you can't do it in your own power. Yes? Number two. So God is the one that purifies us and makes us holy. And then number two, we will never experience sanctification in this life with, without taking personal responsibility. Uh-oh. Because see, what happens is we receive Jesus. We are justified before the Father. We are given his righteousness. And what happens sometimes is we allow that to occur, and then we do nothing with it. See, here's the truth. Most people that come to faith in Christ don't do it on their deathbed. Now, there are people that do, but, but most people don't die after they get saved, after they say yes to Christ and he comes in, right? Isn't that true? So what that means is, is that we have a whole life to live. Like there's a whole thing. And what can happen is you can receive the gift that comes from Jesus and then just kind of decide to sit down, to go no further. You know what I mean? 
And I tell you, as a pastor, one of the most tragic things I see sometimes is somebody that's been in the church a really long time and they would stand up and say, I'm saved. I have the righteousness of Christ in my life. But they look the same as they looked 20 years ago. Now, they're going to make it to heaven. But they're not going to experience everything that God wants them to experience on this earth now. And guys, I tell you, God has so much for us if we would simply allow him to teach us and train us and show us the things that we need to see. Because, see, he gives us the power that we need. And so it's not just the righteousness we receive. It's also about being able to take responsibility, to apply using what we call the four T's, right? Testimony your time, your treasures, and your talent, that you actually begin to use those things with responsibility as you walk through life. One author said it this way, the real secret of holiness consists precisely in learning to keep that balance. Listen, relying thoroughly on God as the true agent of sanctification while faithfully discharging one's personal responsibility. Isn't that good? That balance that we all need in our life. God is absolutely sovereign. God had the plan. God's the one that sent his son. God is up to something, right? He, he determined that as the sovereign one, yes. But he also teaches, and the Bible teaches, that in response to his sovereignty, in response to what he's done, we now have a job to do. We are responsible for what we've been given. What have you been given? Well, if you're saved, that you've been given the righteousness of Jesus. And if you have the righteousness of Jesus, that's a pretty good gift. That's a pretty good thing to have, isn't it? And for us to hold on to that and not share it with the world is a real tragedy, I think. And so we all have personal responsibility and living in that balance is important. As we kind of get to the practical side of what I'm going to talk about, I think we all should be in a process of this ongoing new. This ongoing new that every believer should be experiencing. And the first one that I think all of us should experience on a regular basis is new spiritual insights. We should be gaining new spiritual insights all the time when we're in relationship with Jesus. If you're in a place where you're like, I don't know if that's true in my life. I'm so glad you're here because I want to help you today. I want to share a story with you out of John chapter 3. So one chapter back from 4. Okay, one chapter back. Jesus is having a conversation with a guy named Nicodemus. I don't know if you've ever heard of Nicodemus, but Nicodemus was a religious leader and he came to talk with Jesus, but he did it at nighttime because he was a little nervous about what people might think. <laughs> Have you ever been like that? Some of you live under the tyranny of that every day. But Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and he came in there and he asks Jesus a question. And he starts to, to interact with this rabbi who's teaching all of these things that everybody's so interested in. This new kingdom of God, right? And Jesus replies to Nicodemus. And this is what he says in verse 3. Watch this. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, well, what do you mean? What are, you, what are you talking about, Jesus? 
He goes on, he says, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Do you notice what's happening? Nicodemus is on the, he's on the practical. He's on the, the earthly, the temporal. He, he's, he's saying, okay, I kind of see what you're saying. But again, Jesus was on a different plane. Jesus was talking on a spiritual plane. And one of the things that happens in our life is when we interact with Jesus on a regular basis, what he will do is help graduate us from only what we can see. He will actually help us to begin to understand the deeper things, the spiritual insights that we need to gain. And so when you're in regular communion and fellowship with God, there is a new spiritual insight that will be coming to you on a regular basis as you're interacting with Jesus. See, Jesus says in verse 5, I assure you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. And I suspect at this point, Nicodemus is like, what in the world is he talking about? Verse 6, humans can reproduce only human life. But watch this. But the Holy Spirit gives birth, right? He gives birth to spiritual life. See, see, see what Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to see is that there's things happening around him that he can't just explain by looking at it practically or just looking at the thing in front of him, but there's more to it. And see, what happens is that when you interact with Jesus, you will begin to gain, come on, you'll begin to gain greater spiritual insights. And see, here's what I want you to see today. If you're in a place in your life where you would say to me, Pastor, I just don't feel like I'm hearing from God, right? I mean, there are tons of books written on how to hear from God. I mean, there's everywhere. And really, they're just, they're kind of just, they're all the same. <laughs> you know, they're just written in a different way with a, a, a better cover. But they're pretty much saying the same thing. Because, see, here's the thing that I know. If I can't hear from God, or I'm struggling to hear from God, God never moved. Do you understand? In other words, he didn't like leave. He wasn't just like, you know, I'm tired of this kid. He's such a complainer. He's such a whiner. I just can't do it. No, the Bible says that he stays right there. He's not, he doesn't leave us or forsake us. So here's the question. Who moved? Now, we don't always move physically. Like we don't just get out of bed and say, God, I'm running from you. I'm done with you. Ah! See, it, it, it's not like that, is it? A lot of times it's much more subtle. We make a few decisions. We get distracted. We get distracted by good things. And the next thing you know, his voice gets not as loud. It starts to get quieter and quieter. Here's something else. A lot of times we allow things of the world to get in the way of his voice. We allow our own pain. We allow our own sin. We allow things like bitterness, anger, fear, anxiety. All of these things start to create a wedge or a, a blockage to being able to hear God's voice. And I don't know where you are today, but God wants that cleared out. Because the thing God wants more than anything is for you to be able to hear his voice. 
And if you are not experiencing the regular spiritual insights that come from having a relationship with him, I'm just encouraging you to to examine the fact that God hasn't left and that maybe, just maybe, something's there that's blocking it. And here's the thing. It's God's mercy for revealing it. He's not trying to, you're not in trouble. He's trying to help you see that there's, there's something in the way. And if you would simply give it to him and help him, have him help you understand what's going on, I promise you, you'll begin to gain spiritual insights again. New spiritual insights. Because some of us have been living on some stale bread for the last few years. And God wants to bring you some fresh bread today. He wants to bring you some fresh bread today. All right, number two. So that's the first one, new spiritual insights. Number two is new freedom from hurts, habits, and hang-ups that hold us back. I love this passage of scripture in Galatians 5.1. Listen to this. It's so good. In this freedom, Christ has made us free. He has, look at that, completely, the way the Amplified says it. We've been made free completely. And then look, liberated us. Isn't that good? That goes with the first worship song we sang today. He's our liberator. He's the one that liberates us. And then he says, stand fast then and do not be hampered and held completely ensnared and submit against, again to the yoke of slavery. See, what he's saying is don't go back. Don't go back to what you know. Don't go back to what was. Don't trade in your freedom for greater bondage. And sometimes in our lives, guys, we spend so much time looking at the past that we can't see the future. Sometimes we spend so much time trying to fix ourselves that we don't realize that if we would simply surrender ourselves or surrender ourselves to whatever the Lord is doing, that that thing would begin to come to pass. Don't trade in your freedom for more bondage. See, bondage is incongruent with the gospel at all times. And so you have to understand that if any part of us is living in bondage to something, it's incongruent with what God is doing except being in bondage to Christ. You have to understand that. That's why freedom is such a big deal in the Bible. That's why freedom is such a big deal or it used to be in America. Because it all came from the gospel. That's where it came from, people. Where do you think? You think some guy just came up with this idea? No, he did. His name was Jesus. He's the one that came up with it. And so when we think about freedom, we should recognize that that comes from God. Freedom is coming from God. I was, I was in Washington, D.C. two weeks ago, and they had on display the Magna Carta. Like it was a copy. You're like, what is the Magna Some of you are like, I did not pay attention in history. I have no idea what that is. The Magna Carta was one of the first documents that somehow communicated that we have certain rights as human beings, certain freedoms in light of a a king who was trying to take all of them. Okay, That, that document came from somewhere. You know where it came from? It came from believers who were reading the Bible and saying, hey, wait a second, this seems wrong they started to understand that God had a plan for our lives and it wasn't to be in bondage. It was to be free. And so so here's the thing I want you to see. God wants you to experience ongoing freedom in your life over and over and over again. 
It's so important you get this. As a matter of fact, freedom can come instantaneously and it also can come progressively. So like, for example, maybe somebody comes to get prayed for, someone prays over them, and in the process of praying over them, that person, maybe they were, they, maybe they were addicted to drugs, and they get prayed for, and they walk out of the room never to take another drug again. Like, it happens. God does those kinds of things. And so that can happen. That's instantaneous. But for a lot of us, it's a process. It's a process of, of God revealing to us through his word, through our spiritual leaders, what the problem is so that we can begin to get better. And so, Pastor Gretchen and I, we feel so strongly about this. But this fall, we are going to be taking our entire church through more of a freedom experience. <laughs> it's going to be good. I'm so excited. It's actually going to replace our small groups for the fall. And so what we're going to do is on Wednesday nights, we're going to show up here at the church and we're going to have some teaching from Pastor Matt and Pastor Sarah Keller, who pastor a church called Next Level Church in Fort Myer. They've, they've developed an amazing curriculum. We're going to be facilitating that conversation and then we're going to be breaking out into smaller groups as a family and then what's really cool is we're working on getting a, a time for teenagers as well. Uh, where they would have their own kind of thing. Then we're working on a time for elementary students as well. And then we will have child care for some of the younger ones. So it's going to be like this amazing family night of all of us really just spending time getting free. Now, I know for some of you that is a little scary. You're like, wait a second. No, no, no. Here. And, oh, here's the other one. Here's the other person. There's, there's another person in here who's like, Pastor, I've already been through freedom. Duh. Let me ask you a question for that person. Are you free? Are you free in every area of your life? Just because you've been through a class or a curriculum doesn't mean you're free. And if you're not free from everything, then you need to take a lap. Now, I know when the coach told you to take a lap, you felt like you were in trouble. You're not in trouble. You're just in a process. I'm in a process. We're all in a process. We all got to get better. And can you imagine a church? Like 100, let's say we get 100 people to get free. Can you imagine how infectious that would be in our city? Because when people start getting free, all of a sudden they want to know how you did it. And his name's Jesus. And that's when Jesus becomes beautiful to the world around us. And, and now all of a sudden you're seeing people do, you get saved and set free. It's going to be amazing. So, I would encourage you to be a part of that this fall as we think about gaining new freedom in our lives in the hurts, habits, and hangups that we have because God wants to do that. Amen? And then finally, I have one more. Actually, I have two more things to say, and then we'll be done. I was telling, last, I was telling the service, last, uh, you know, the last service, that preachers actually say, I only have one more point, but they're usually not telling the truth. They've got like four more but they're just starting you there. You know, it's, it's like they want to kind of keep you going. You know, it's like, I'm on my last thing, guys. I'm on my last thing. But that thing has 24 ideas. <laughs> Some of you are like, hurry up. Number three, we need new empowerment to accomplish the mission of Jesus. Yes. See, I can't accomplish the mission that Jesus wants me to accomplish without him. And here, let me tell you, it comes, it really breaks down into two places. Empowerment comes by knowing my purpose 
Because if I don't know my purpose, I can't accomplish something. I'm not empowered. But if I know where I'm supposed to be going, if I know what I'm supposed to be doing, now I have purpose, and that means I'm empowered. And so many of us need to understand what our purpose is. And I've talked to you about what the church's purpose is. It's also your purpose as well. Now, sometimes what happens is we elevate our desires, our purpose, or even our vocations above God's. And let me just say to you, if you're a follower of Jesus today, the mission of Jesus is more important than your mission. Always. It always takes second chair. And that's important you understand that. Now, I know for some of it, that's hard to hear because maybe our vocation has always been the point. But again, that's just, that's like Jesus telling the disciples, hey, I've already had something to eat. Like, you know, when he's sharing this whole idea of that's good, but there's something better. And Jesus is the one that gives us that. And so make sure you understand your purpose. That's number one. In other words, what am I supposed to be doing? But then here's the power. The other is power. So you have purpose and power. So you become empowered to, the, to accomplish the mission of Jesus when you understand your purpose and you receive the power to do it. So you have to understand that because, see, a lot of times what happens is we try to accomplish the plan without the power. We try to do that, and what happens is we fail. So I want to just kind of put it in a nutshell for you. Jesus said this in Matthew 28. Listen, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus says this. Go then and make disciples. Is that clear? It's pretty straightforward. Now, he doesn't say, go then, Daniel, only, and make disciples. He doesn't say, go then, pastor, only, and make disciples. He, goes, he says, go then and make disciples. And he's speaking to his disciples. So today, if you are a disciple, that is your mission. Your mission is to go then and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That seems pretty clear to me if you're looking for a purpose. And then finally, in verse 20, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the days. In other words, he's not going to leave us or forsake us. He's always with us. Remember, he never moved. He's always there. He's with us. And he's empowering us to make sure that we can get the job done. Because I know that's true because in Acts 1.8, let me read it to you. But you shall receive what? Power. I love that word power because, and you've heard me say this before, but it's in the Greek, it's, it's the word dunamis. It means dynamite. Where do we get the word dynamite? It's dynamite. It's explosive power. We're given explosive power to accomplish the mission, Yes. Do you see what I'm getting at? In other words, God gives us a purpose, but he also gives us the power to accomplish it. So he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so you see the concentric circles. It starts here and keeps going out and out and out. And so for us, it starts here in this house, in this city, and it goes out to our nation, and it goes out to our world. See, that's what we're supposed to be about. That is the purpose of the church, and that is the purpose of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when you do it in his power, great things happen. But when you try to do it on your own, good luck, because you need the power to accomplish it. And I just say to you today, if you're living your life right now, your experience of Jesus is where you feel on a regular basis powerless. That's not what God wants for you. And what I'd like for you to do today is take a step of faith. Come over here and get prayed for at the end of service and solve this issue. Because the Holy Spirit is waiting. The Holy Spirit just wants you to ask. The Holy Spirit wants to be your best friend. You just simply have to ask for it, and he will come in. Okay. 
Last thing. Now, I need you to hear me here. You got to put your, you got to be like, shake it off. Shake it off. I'm here. I'm here. I'm all in. Because here's the fourth thing I need you to see. Not only will we experience greater spiritual insights, greater freedom, greater empowerment, but here's the thing, guys. We need to experience new and greater intimacy in our relationship with Jesus. Hear me. Through worship. This is important. This is so important, and I need, you to, I need you to give me some grace for a moment because I need to speak to something that I think is a little hard for all of us to hear. I see our world being ravished right now by a lot of things that God doesn't want. Fear is a very real thing right now in people. We're afraid of a lot of things. We're scared about the future. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, yes? And here's the thing. This is the thing I know. I can't beat fear without worship. I can't. It is the tool that God gives us to beat fear. Now, the word of God read aloud, properly understood, can also beat fear. But one of the other things, and you've got to see this, is one of the easiest and most practical things I can do is worship God. And what will happen is those things will go away. And let me ask you this, and this is really important. What I'm noticing is a greater and greater increase of people who are not worshiping. And I'm not just talking about just the division of online and in person, okay? I don't have any, I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about the way it goes down. But let me say this. Whether you're in person or whether you're online. If we're not worshiping consistently as individuals and corporately. We eventually will be losing the battle. And you need to hear me. I I know that some of you hear me online or wherever you are today. And you're probably a little frustrated that I'm even dabbling in these waters. But here's the thing that you have to understand. As your pastor, I just have to tell you the truth. And the thing that I know, that I know, that I know, that if we don't get this right, if we don't on a regular basis worship individually and corporately, we will begin to lose the battle in our minds. And my friends, I don't want to see that happen in your life. You've heard the data We all know the data that people are struggling right now. One in three practicing Christians have stopped attending church during COVID-19. One in three. And they say that 13% of people that attended faithfully before COVID are not coming back. Ever. Guys, that's significant. That is a big deal that we have to understand as believers that this is not just... See, what I think we do with worship is we make it optional. You were created to worship. God created you to worship. Whether you worship in your house or whether you worship here, you've got to do some worship because what will happen is if you don't worship God, you eventually will worship something else. 
And what happens is we start to worship fear. Worship becomes bigger than the God that we serve. We take a good thing and we make it an ultimate thing. And when we make it an ultimate thing, it becomes idolatry. Do you understand? That's why I'm harping on this. And I hope that you feel my passion is not because I'm mad at you. I'm passionate about this because I don't want to see you go down. I don't want the enemy to continue to ruin your life. I want God to reach in right now into space and time and begin to help you see that if you would get your worship up, all that stuff would begin to go down. And if you're, and I want to say to anybody that's online today, I love you so much and I'm so glad you're here, but I, I want to encourage you. If you're, if you're coming to church online, what I'm going to say to you, two things, and this is important, make sure you're doing it every week. See, what I'm finding is that it's kind of hit or miss sometimes. I'm also finding that when we get online, we get distracted. We don't pay attention like we do when I'm in a room. See, see what I'm getting at? And so what I'm, I'm just asking you, make sure it's consistent. Make sure you're doing it every week. Matter of fact, I would go as far as to say, do it like three times a week. Find like a few more churches than go. Be encouraged throughout the week. If you're at home, like if you're here in person right now, make sure you've got worship going on in your life all the time. Put, put worship music on repeat in your house. Stop listening to the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> or whatever you listen to. Daka. Or, is she a person? <laughs> Dodo. What's that woman? D- Dasha? I don't know. Just turn it off. and g- Just get some worship going on. And you know what will happen? Oh, it happens every time I do it. When I feel worried and fearful and I don't know what's going on, all of a sudden I'm reminded again that my God is so much bigger than anything I'm dealing with. And he just pulls me out of that. And he says, all right, kid, you're good. Come on, let's get back in there. Let's do the things I've called you to do. Don't be freaked out by this. I've got you. When we sing it, when we're little babies, he's got the whole world in his hands. Come on. Got the whole world in his hands. He got the whole world in his hands. See? Now that was, I think the cadence of that was a little bit more uh, when I grew up. I grew up in a black church. That's how we sang it. Matter of fact, we would say, no, no, I'm not going to do it. I'll just, you got it. But what's the point of that? He's got the whole world in his hands. That means he's got you. I don't care what you're dealing with. He's got you. And if he's got you, you're good. Even if it's bad, he's, it's good. He's with you. Because bad with God is good. <laughs> I don't even know if that works theologically, but it made sense. Okay, I got to stop. But I want to ask anybody online, in person, here's the question. Do you think it's possible that if a person decides to withdraw from regular worship, in person or online, that these common threads of the human experience, things like purposelessness, loneliness, fear, and anxiety, might increase in that person's life? Yes? So let's make sure we're doing what we're designed to do, which is worship God. Isaiah 43, 21 says it this way. The people I made will sing songs to praise me. 
See, we're designed to praise him. We're designed to do it in our home. We're designed to do it at our office. We're designed to do it here together collectively. We're designed to do it everywhere. That's what we're designed to do. And so I want to encourage you. Whatever your current worship attendance is, personally and corporately, let's like double it. Because isn't it true that when you go through hard times, you need to double it? That's what we need, people. So let's make sure we're doubling it so that we can continue doing what God's called us to do. And so as we kind of close, what good thing, what good thing have you allowed to get in the way? What good thing have you allowed to get in the way that's distracting you from the things that God wants you to be doing? What good thing's gotten in the way of you knowing God better? And let's hit the reset button. Let's hit the reset button so that we can get back on track. Let's pray. I know that there are people here today that as I, as I tried my best to share the word, there was probably a point where you thought, you know what? <laughs> there are a few things in my life that I've allowed to distract me. Maybe there's a few things that you've allowed in that has kept you from hearing God's voice, from gaining new spiritual insights. Maybe you've allowed your attendance in worship to wane a little bit, publicly or even privately. You've just allowed things to slip. I want to be able to pray for anybody that would say they've, they've, they feel that they've kind of gotten a little distracted. Lord Jesus, I pray for anybody right now that's feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit to help them get back in line with you. Just say to the Lord, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've just gotten distracted. I'm sorry I've let this in. I'm sorry to, I've been focused on this good thing. And forgotten the main thing. God, would you help me? I don't want to do that. And you know my heart. You know I don't, I'm not just trying to be rebellious. And so, Father, would you forgive me? I repent. I go in a different direction. I ask that you would give me your grace. But also, would you give me the power to overcome? Because I do, I do want to be your disciple. I do want to be a follower of Jesus. Would you help me to get back on mission today? Earlier in the message, I talked about not just the ongoing new, but the first new. And I want to circle back around to that because I know that there are people in this room and even online that if they're honest, they would have to say that they don't have a relationship with Jesus, that he's not the Lord of their life. They don't know him as Savior. And what I want to do for a moment is just give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. If you're wondering what that is, it's, it's very simple. The Bible says that God sent his son To pay for our sins. He died a brutal death on a cross. 
so that we might be saved. As they took him off of that cross, they placed him in a tomb. And three days later, the Bible says that he beat death. He didn't just beat death. He beat sin on our behalf. And as he came out of that tomb, he now is offering it to you freely. And so God is initiating a relationship with you. And I just want to ask you, if you don't know that, if that's not your story, the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that it's true, that he, that he will come in and do the inside work that needs to be done. And so I just want to ask you, to take a step of faith today. And so what I'm going to do, no one's looking around, but I'm going to ask you to do something on the count of three, just as a way of making a statement of faith, an action, so to speak, of faith, that you simply would do on the count of three, that you would raise your hand up as a way of saying, I'm in. And what I want to do is lead you in a prayer, very simple prayer, that will help you take that next step. And so right now, on the count of three, whether you're in this room or whether you're online, I want you to raise your hand up on the count of three to indicate that. That statement of faith on the count of three. One, two, three. Go ahead. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Anybody else today? Anybody else? I'm so proud of you. Anybody online? I'm so proud of you for raising your hand. I want to be able to pray for you guys. So guys, all of us are praying together. No one's praying alone, and we're all going to lift our voice. And so repeat this after me. There's nothing magic about it. It's just, it just takes a, all I ask is that you believe it in faith. And so here we go. Say these words. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. Would you forgive me of my sins? You set me free today. I surrender my life to you. Be my Lord. Change me from the inside out. Give me purpose. I choose this day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those that are making decisions today? Come on, guys. This is what it's all about.